Glad that you're with us for this. This is, um, this is actually going to be more fun than some of the other books as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's, there's a lot to learn about history from the Apocrypha. Those of you that are guests here, we are looking at the Apocrypha, the books that made it into Bibles of the Roman and the Eastern and the Orthodox churches. Um, most of them have the same set list, although there are variances. And uh, those that were in the Protestant Bibles until the 1800s, when they were moved out of there. Uh, before there, they were put in the middle, but um, they were moved out later. This today, the Maccabees, is one of the most important books in the Apocrypha. It really is. And it's, it's also one of the more fun ones to read. It helps us understand the political and social situation into which Jesus was born. I'd like to start with a question I got earlier today that I thought was a really good question. And that is, we never hear from people saying, well, according to First Maccabees, we ought to, or according to Tobit, we ought to. There's a good reason for that. They were, as far as I can tell, never looked upon as being directive or authoritative. They were looked upon as being descriptive or being history or background. And that's why we need to know them, but we don't have to obey them. In fact, the vast majority have nothing to obey. It's a story. It's not a list of commands. Now, it's true that Ecclesiasticus, for example, you can find commands in that one. You know, the wisdom of Solomon. Uh, but most of them do not. That said, this book explains why we find Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, and Zealots in Jesus' day. If you wondered, how did the Jews split into four major parties, and actually there were more, this book explains. It also explains why they were in conflict with each other and why the priesthood wasn't backing up Jesus. Have you ever wondered about that? With all the prophecies he fulfilled, why didn't the priesthood come along behind him? Well, if you know the books of the Maccabees, you know why. Because of the political situation at the time had changed. Levites were no longer in charge of the priesthood. The priesthood was being shared between two major political parties that did, and religious parties as well, that did not like each other and would fight for control over it and would rotate. Uh, Jesus' people never had a chance to rotate in there. there. There's more. It also, by the way, tells us why the Romans were in Palestine and why they were in control of much of everyday life. That's kind of good background to have. You know, ministers will often re, uh, reference history in a lesson about Jesus' life, and people will sometimes come up to me and say, is there a book where I could get that? Well, no, there are thousands of books, and you need probably 20 or 30 of them to get a good gris, uh, grasp on it. I'm really hoping somebody one day writes one good volume for the common reader. It'd make it much easier uh, for me. I'm a common reader as well. But Maccabees are a good place to start. The people in Jesus' day were very aware of the books in the Apocrypha, and they revered them. The stories were cherished national and religious stories that shaped the character of who they are. This is why, for example, uh, when somebody does one of these on-the-street 
interviews, uh, whether it's a late night comedian or one of the news stations, and they'll say, you know, July 4th is celebration of what? And people can't answer it. It's tragic. Now, by the way, I have no idea if they found 52 that knew it, and, but they found two idiots, and that's the ones they did. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to uh, you know, paint the whole country as ignorant. I'm just saying, if you lose track of your national stories, you lose track of who you are. These were their national stories. Uh, next slide. We sometimes refer to the period between Malachi and Matthew as 400 years of silence, and that's really not true. Jesus um, was active. God was active. People were writing. Religious things were happening. Uh, there were still prophets and priests, but they weren't writing prophets and priests in the same way that they were earlier. To consider him silent during that 400 years, and I heard that all my life. These are the 400 years of silence. And then God broke in in Bethlehem. And that's very dramatic. But have you ever realized what, what you're telling people? You're telling people God might not be listening or doing anything on the planet. He might be fed up, but he's gone for a while. Now, there is a religious system that believes that there is a God, but he's not interested in us. And that all, he, he makes stuff, but he doesn't direct it. Uh, do you know what that's called? Deism. And about half of the founding fathers were functionally deist. A couple of them were functionally pagan. And then a few were uh, quite religious Christian men. But it, it always kind of tickles me when people say, well, you know, our forefathers all believed in God. And I'm going, eh, yeah, but not quite the God you might think. Regardless, we are not deists. We believe God is active. And I believe he was active in the 400 years. The next slide, knowing the conflicts, and I have to say next slide because it's not always obvious. Laurie Lee is brilliant at usually figuring that out, but um, particularly in the way I've organized things now, I, I kind of feel like I need to help. Uh, knowing the stories behind the conflicts makes some of the references in Scripture make sense. You know, like a fight between the Sadducees and the Pharisees is never explained why they fight. A fight between the scribes and the, uh, relig the priest. Never really explain. If you know these books, you know the why. You know where it came from. Um, all right, here's the main bit. After the death of the great general Philip of Macedonia, his son named Alexander took over the known world. And it was a big kingdom. In fact, uh, Alexander is said to have been very upset at how successful his father was, for he feared that his father would conquer the whole world before he grew up old enough to have a shot at it. But Philip died. Alexander took it. But Alexander, in his 30s, died. Uh, by the way, the cause of that death is still generating books today because it's still not exactly understood what killed him and how it killed him and whether it was natural or whether it was... Uh, murder. But regardless, after he took the world, and again, that's the world to them, his kingdom was divided amongst his generals. Four generals, in fact. Two of those kingdoms are just not important enough, really, for us to be concerned about. You know, the, the Marian over here, the Antigonid up there, we're just not that interested in. But look at the Seleucid there and the Ptolemaic there. Just think, Seleucus and Ptolemy over here. What's in the middle? It says Nabataeans. 
uh, I'm not sure why it put there. That's, that's not really a kingdom. That's an area. And the Nabataeans are quite interesting, and they did disappear early. But do you, what nation is represented by that area? Israel. So, guess what? Seleucus and Ptolemy hated each other and kept trying to conquer each other's territory. Where'd they have to march to get to them? Israel's right in the middle. Now you're beginning to understand some of what's going on in the New Testament. This had been going on for some time. In fact, Daniel prophesied quite a bit about all of this. When we read the stories of 1st, 2nd, and 4th Maccabees, I skipped 3rd. 3rd isn't really related to 1st, 2nd, and 4th. It gets confusing. Don't worry about it. (laughs) If you read 1st, 2nd, and 4th Maccabees, you see how Daniel's prophecies link to what was going on at the time. Each war, even marriages, early deaths, all of that is, um, is quite impressive. Now, the Seleucid dynasty is the one that really interests us. That's uh, the, the picture there on the coin of Antiochus uh, Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV, he's also called. I, I really can't describe how bad a guy this was. This was, I think, of the worst despot you've ever thought of, whether it's Stalin or Mussolini or Hitler. Uh, worse. Think of Genghis Khan. Worse. He hated the Jews and hated their God. And he was the most powerful leader in a known world to the point where he went into the temple and stripped it, took out all the, the furniture. Do you, when I say furniture, I'm talking about like the table of, of showbread and the, uh, the altar. And he took it all, stripped all the gold and the, the seven golden candlesticks, took it all put in idols of himself and his gods, like Jupiter, and to make sure the Jews wouldn't come in there again and mess with his stuff, he sacrificed pigs on the altar. He did everything he could to insult God and the Jews. Now, here's an interesting sidebar, which is huge in the New Testament. So many people just assume, well, it must be God's will that the Greeks rule us, that they started acting Greek. They were, now, uh, the Greeks are known in history as Hellenic uh, for Helen. And because of that, we refer to those Jews as being Hellenized. They were acting like Greeks, they dressed like Greeks, they talked like Greeks. They thought that's what, it, you know, that's the world we got. So Jesus walks, is born into a society that has religious divisions an invading, occupying force, a temple which, has, which has now been recovered somewhat uh, in the book of Maccabees, we'll find out about that, but is still being rotated among these warring division tribes. When Jesus came to the planet, it was a mess. And the center of the mess was right there in Jerusalem. So, meanwhile, uh, next slide, back at the temple, things were rotten priesthood had fallen into decline. It got to a point where people were buying the office of priest. And some of them were buying it for their family and not taking turns. Um, If you've ever been to Israel, and I have not been, my son-in-law just got back from there. My father went there many times. I know enough about what goes on on Temple Mount. 
if you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre or the like, you will find when you walk in that this religious group has control of this area. The other has control of that area. They, you're not even allowed to sweep on their side of the line. I want you to think of three kids that hate each other in the back of a car. Don't cross this line. Don't cross the air above this line. To the point where people have been killed because you swept the wrong tile. Um, by the way, Muslims were caught recently in their area. They have a part of it too because they claim it too. Uh, digging secretly under and throwing rubbish, rubbish, dirt over the side of the wall. Tons of it were eventually found and in the dirt have been found hundreds of artifacts that were being thrown away because they, they, they weren't interested in Christian artifacts. This is, it's just a mess. It is. It all started back then. Um, for example, Jason, a guy named Jason, was not qualified to take the high priest slot, but he went against the religious leader at the time that had a chance at being a priest called Onias and deposed him. After deposing him, he found out that Antiochus, the, the bad guy we've been talking about, had decided, you know, I'd be better off with my own hand-picked man. And so he got kicked out in his own turn. A guy named Menelaus was appointed, and Jason was de de uh, deposed in a big battle that took place right in the temple precincts. Uh, just, just a little hint here. Religious and social corruption go before national corruption. I don't often quote uh, Billy Graham. I'm not opposed to quoting him. I just don't know that many quotes. But back in the 70s, he was asked, will God judge, is uh, God judge us and as a nation? And his response was, if he doesn't, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Hmm. When you take a look at Israel, there's a whole lot we can parallels uh, of what was going on then and going on with us. By the way, I'm not talking politics here at all. Um, not terribly interested. Um, you cannot expect to vote Babylon in to fix Babylon. We are Christian. Let's deal with our kingdom. All right? If you're interested in politics, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to have a cat if you want to, but that's not what we're doing. Um, people say, does he have something against cats? Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I, just, I just love tweaking cat owners because you can, you can say things about dog owners and fish owners and they just shrug. Say something about a cat owner, oh boy. It's like a comedian friend of mine said, you tell one joke about obsessive compulsive disorder and once they start writing, they never stop. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, uh, we're in trouble with temple. Let's go to the next one. Next slide. Antiochus moves in with force. He decides he's done with uh, Jason and Onias and all that. And he had a, here's the thing, he had the backing of many of the Jews because they wanted to be more modern. They wanted to be more intelligent. They wanted to be more sophisticated. So he went beyond the wildest, darkest dreams of any of them and decided to end Jerusalem. He abolished the sacrifices, so you couldn't even do sacrifices away from the temple. If you're caught, you were killed. 
plundered the temple of its gold, goods, and furniture. We did that. He decreed the death penalty for keeping the Sabbath. If you refused to work on Sabbath, you were killed. He also killed you if you had your son circumcised. Now, here's the thing. Back in those days, nakedness was very, very, very common. When you went to work, if you're working on the ships fishing, you generally were not wearing anything because you only had one set of uh, robes or something and you didn't want those messed up. If you were uh, doing any athletic endeavors, you were naked. Uh, the only baths were central baths and you would go there and you would be naked. Nakedness was not what it is to us. You know, titillating and ooh, look at that. No, it was common uh, among men. Now, we must say much less common among women, but still more common than you might think. Uh, this means you couldn't be circumcised in private. You would be, you'd be seen. There were Jews back then. Think of this, think of this. In the days without anesthesia, who tried to do uncircumcision. Uh, think, of the, think of the infections and the, because they wanted to keep their job or they didn't want to be killed by one of the, uh, the Greek soldiers. Priest, the legitimate Levite priest, were forced to make an oath of allegiance to Zeus and Antiochus or they were slaughtered. Did you realize things were that bad in that time before Jesus was born? They were that bad. And I'm not telling you half of it because I really don't want to. You know, I don't, um, I, you, you can read in 1 uh, Maccabees and 2 Maccabees and 4 Maccabees, or you can read about the Jewish wars. Now we come to a family, Mattathias. Mattathias and his five sons lived at Modin, 17 miles northwest of Jerusalem. He saw what was going on at the temple, so he put on clothes of mourning and wept. Representatives of Antiochus came to the village. They realized what was going on. They heard about Mattathias. So they came to the village and they set up altars to Zeus Antiochus and, and to Antiochus and demanded that each family give their allegiance at those altars. They specifically wanted Mattathias, but they decided we're just going to get everybody and, and the weight of opinion will force him. If you don't realize the weight of opinion, it's huge. It's huge in adults as well. But I can, I'll never forget, I, I wanted to demonstrate to teens how easily swayed they are by the weight of opinion. When I walked, so I walked into a youth rally once, there were about 400, 500 kids there. And I said, we need to deal with myth and reality. And a lot of things that you believe are not true. For example, how many people here still think that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? And not a hand went up. The way I'd set it up, shut them down. Now think about when they go to schools and what they're taught. Now think about when they hear on the news. For example, not trying to be political, just be aware. I'm going to be in, in St. Louis the next two days with the FBI, and it's right by Ferguson. Um, what happened in Ferguson never made the papers because it didn't fit a narrative. This week, uh, almost 20,000 emails were released that showed collusion between the DNC and the media on stories and such. That should be pretty huge. In fact, 
the um, head of the DNC, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, was this morning disinvited from the Ur convention. She has been not banned from her convention. If you subscribe to the New York Times and Washington Post, you don't know that story, not any of that story. Isn't that interesting? The national narrative can shut you down. And the national narrative of that time was shutting belief down. So we're going to herd them all through, and Mattathias has got to come through. But he wasn't about to go along. In fact, when the first Jew stepped up to get things started by making his oath of allegiance, Mattathias grabbed a sword and killed him and the Greek soldier that was in charge. And that began the Jewish wars. Calling on others to be like Phineas. If you don't know who Phineas is, you have not read your Old Testament. Go back and read about Phineas. He said, quote, Let everyone who is zealous for the law and supports the covenant come out with me. It was the declaration of war. It was the shooting at Concord Bridge for Americans. Uh, it, it was the beginning. It was uh, the firing on Fort Sumter. It was the beginning of civil war. Well, Mattathias raised and, and led a large group of resistance fighters, but they learned a terrible lesson. When they were cornered on the Sabbath day and decided that they couldn't fight on the Sabbath day because that was work. So they were slaughtered almost to a man. Mattathias survived that and decided that's never going to happen again. God, what, what, what had they done? They'd assumed that the law was more important than human life. Remember what Jesus taught later when he said man was not made for the law, but law for the man? He's referring to things like this. When you allow law to top human life, human dignity, and human need, you have gone too far. If churches knew that, they would quit fighting and we could take half the names off the fronts because we wouldn't have to de uh, denominate ourselves from each other anymore. But I, I digress. So, next one to step up is Judas the Hammer. Not MC Hammer, Judas the Hammer. You can always tell people of a certain age they know that guy. Uh, Judas the Hammer, which is what the name Maccabees means. Hammer. Probably came from a work that they did. But it's very appropriate for this group. He's the eldest son of Mattathias. When Mattathias dies, Judas leads the resistance. And it's a resistance. Now, you might think, well, how does a resistance work? If, you, if you're not familiar with the history of, of war, you might think wars are when this nation goes against that nation. Most wars have been guerrilla or resistance wars, where people in one society pull out and do strike and run, strike and hide movements, like ISIS is doing against us and against the civilized world. Um, like the Irish did. Everybody told, uh, told the Irish they were stupid. And in fact, you can still get Irish jokes like you used to get Polish jokes. Irish jokes, because they were stupid to think that they could fight the British Empire upon which the sun never set. It ruled the world. How'd they do it? With sticks and rakes and little barely functioning bolt-action rifles that were out of date before the year 1900 and strike and run and strike and run and strike and run. That's how they did it. Now they've got their own country, Era, or Ireland, you would call it. Um, 
again, how did America do it? Strike and run, strike and run. In fact, when you tried to do set peace battles, it didn't go well for you, did it? You had to do the strike and run. That's what Judas did. He tore down altars. He did mass circumcising of boys for enforced Jewish laws. His quote was, hunting down arrogant men. By arrogant, he meant men who thought that their desire was more important than God's law. They wanted to be looked upon as Hellenistic. He said, that's arrogant. So next slide. Judas won victory after victory. And in fact, I've got, you can, you can go online and see the list of these victories and how they happened uh, and which ones weren't victories. But it was his victory over the guardians of the temple that we should remember most. They had a, a force, um, the, the Greeks did, keeping Jews out of the temple. It was when Judas Maccabees, or Maccabeus, and his people took the temple, killed the guards and threw them out. Uh, they took Jerusalem, in fact, except for one tower. There was a strong tower right in the middle of the city they couldn't take, and the Greeks stayed in it. But they took the temple. That's the one we remember. The citadel, the walled tower, remained in the Greeks' hands. And guess what the Greeks started? Strike and run. Strike and get back into the tower. Strike and get back into the tower. Well, a famine occurred. And many of the Jews went over to the worship of Zeus. They were, they were looking for something. You might wonder again, how does a people forget their God? And they didn't have a Bible. They couldn't meet for Bible class. They couldn't go worship. How long does it take a generation to forget? Just one. Just one. Before Mao and the communists took China, China was known as the most Christian nation on earth. You wear that? And I've heard more than one and read more than once of Chinese people who said the reason the revolution took place was because we forgot to teach our kids. We assumed they knew. I'll never forget talking to a young lady in her mid-twenties who'd come to me for counseling years ago at a different church. She was having trouble with her live-in boyfriend. And I was her minister. And she didn't ever seemed to understand that that might be a problem that she had had two or three live-in boyfriends before and so after I realized she doesn't know this is wrong I looked at her and I said you know the Bible has a different idea about this and I said it very simply uh, you know that God says we make a covenant with each other to be with each other for life and then we can have sex with each other live together and her jaw dropped she said really and this was a young lady who'd come to church almost all of her life I guess that had never been taught in the Bible classes we assume they know and when they don't right, you saw Tyler's Tyler Ellis's figure were you surprised that the 75% lose their faith I'm not I've seen that all my life it's true it's getting bigger um, all right, that said, uh, sorry, Laurie, <laughs> went off track there for a bit. Um, I'll make it up to you by not coming in the next two days. How's that? Um, a famine occurred. Many Jews went over to the worship of Zeus. 
there was a high priest called Alcimus who tried to tear down the wall of the sanctuary. He was the high priest, and he tried to tear down a wall of the temple so that pagans could just walk in anytime they wanted, and you know, like a touristy thing, or they could do whatever sacrifices they wanted to. As he was working on this, he had a stroke, and he died a painful death. So now Jonathan shows up. Jonathan's also a Maccabees, but he's more of a politician and a networker than he is a warrior. Several attempts were made on his life by Jews and Greeks. He eventually became high priest, but he was unable to break away from the Greeks. He was unable to get the citadel into Jewish hands. Now, the other books of the Maccabees tell the story of Simon and John Hyrcanus, fantastic stories, who finally broke the citadel, finally drove them from the land, but at the cost of the Romans coming in. When he drove out the Greeks, they were too tired and they weren't watching their back door. And the Romans came in. What is, what is um, you've heard all your life, nature abhors a vacuum, which is not true, by the way. Nature couldn't care less about a vacuum, but everybody knows it, so it must be true. In politics, nature abhors a vacuum. If there's not a strong leader, somebody else is going to pop in. And that's what happened here. The Romans came in. One of the reasons they were able to come in, anybody know this little trivia bit here? Do you know one of the reasons why the Romans were able to come in quickly? They didn't have to march there. They had a navy. That was new. That whole concept was new. All right, that said, um, in religion in Jesus' time, you had the liberals, that was the Sadducees. They didn't believe in any of the books of the Old Testament except for the first five. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They were secular Jews. If you're not aware of this, uh, oh, I have no idea what the figure is, but it's, it is, it's got to be up in the 90s, of a, a 90, 90 percentile somewhere, of American Jews don't necessarily believe there is a God. But they are Jews because they are Jews. That's their secular identity. It's almost like going to Italy and asking, are there any Catholics here? And, and I've had people all my life, they'll look at me and say, well, I'm, I'm Irish, so I'm Catholic. And I've always said, you know, it's not mandatory. You, know, you, have, you have options. But to them, no. It's, and I'll ask them, do you ever go to church? Do you ever go to mass? No. And I get it. They go to be born, married, and buried. Or as we put it, hatch, matched, and dispatched. That's the same with the Church of Scotland, the Protestants. Um, but you, then you had conservatives. Who are the conservatives? Pharisees. Pharisees. Then you had the extremists. I'm, I'm going to say two sets of extremists. You had the Essenes who believed, we just got to get away. And they went into the desert. We're going to follow the law. And we're going to keep ourselves pure by, by not being with women. And this is why there aren't a scenes today. It's kind of like shakers. Shakers thought that sex was a sin. When was the last time you met a shaker? After a while, there are no little shakers and no little scenes. But then the other ones, and this, these are the important ones, they carried on the guerrilla action. It was against the law for a Jew to carry a weapon in a public place. But they would hide it in their robes. They'd hide knives, short swords, the gladius. 
in scripture, they are called the zealots. Jesus had a couple of zealots in his inner tribe. He also had a tax collector. I've often wondered, how long did it take for Matthew to get any sleep? That would have been an interesting thing, Matthew. I I can imagine him introducing Matthew to the rest of them because zealots came first. You're going to see the zealots putting their hands. Hi, Matthew. We'll see you later after lights out. But there was very little worship going on. All these split groups, there's so little worship going on. In politics, you had the Hellenist, those that like the Greeks, a few Roman sympathizers, and then the Roman zealots who'd had no real leader. And it was right into that that Jesus was born. I'm going to back up just a little bit. When Judas and the Maccabees killed the guards at the temple and cleansed it, they had a problem. The Bible says in the Old Testament that if you want to um, rededicate a temple, that you had to burn the lights for eight days. They didn't have enough oil. And they were concerned that starting the lights and them going out after a day or so would be an insult to God. And so this was a real problem for them. If it doesn't seem like it's a real problem to you, it's just because you don't have that mindset that they had. It was a very serious one. They wanted to follow God. And after much prayer and debate, they decided to light the candles. By the way, a candle doesn't look like a candle to us. It's a little um, pottery bowl. Uh, Sometimes it'd be covered at the top except for a hole, and a wick is stuck down there, and you light that. Other times, it's a bowl. It's a bowl with oil in it, and you just put a wick on it and light. And so smoky, smoldery thing. So they decide just to light them. And even though they only had enough oil for a day or so, by miracle, it lasted eight days. And, that, and to this day, Jews celebrate the festival or holiday of light. You call it Hanukkah. That's where that comes from. And the reason it moves about a bit is because Jews use a different calendar than we do. Um, to a Jew, it's a different... In fact, in Israel, it's a different date than it is in here. Uh, and the Muslims have their own date as well. They date from... Um, let's see, they date from the... the I know it's either the revelation or the first hajj, but whichever one it is, it's an event in the life of of, uh, Muhammad. All right. The divisions were so deep, and people stayed, they they kept, uh, if they had a cat, they kept a cat. How's that? They had their own views of things. God says that the church view, his view, has to trump all the others, but it doesn't take away the other views to the point where only Luke records this. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus knew that not only would he die, but if they didn't watch out, the apostles would die. He didn't want the apostles to die. He was supposed to die. He didn't want them to defend him, but they were allowed to defend themselves. And so Luke has Jesus turning to them and saying, I told you before, when you go out into the world, take nothing with you, but I'm telling you tonight, take your money, and by a sword. Remember that? And one of the men immediately says, I've got two. Jesus says, that's enough. Um, You can overarm. And you remember when Peter did leap forward to defend Jesus, which he was not supposed to do. And Jesus healed 
the high priest's servant, he turned to Peter and he said, what in the world are you doing with a sword, you idiot, we're pacifists? No, he didn't. He said, put the sword back into its place. If you live by that, you die by that. I'm not a pacifist, but I will tell you this. As soon as it goes to violence, you lose. You do. Um, and therefore, not being a pacifist doesn't mean I'm pro-violence. I'm very much anti-violence. Um, I think we need to be aware that it's, it's not as black and white as we've tried to make it. It's, it. Everything is much more nuanced in the world. All right, that said, Jesus had all of this around him, and Jesus is standing in the middle of all of this and says, the kingdom of heaven is come, and I'm the Messiah. Now do you see why he didn't survive? This is why C.S. Lewis says, Either Jesus was a liar and the worst man ever, or he was a lunatic, because nobody but a lunatic would stand in the middle of all of that and say, I'm your king, or he was Lord. Called the trilemma, uh, C.S. Lewis's trilemma. There are powerful lessons here. Last slide, finally, Laurie. Um, Paul warned Timothy not to get entangled in this world's affairs. There's a feature on Facebook where you don't have to unfriend people. You can just turn off to where you don't see what they post. Election years are a good use, time to use that. They really are. You don't have to unfriend them. Um, it's all right to have opinions, but you don't always have to broadcast them. Please remember Romans chapter 14, where Paul says, whatever you think about these matters, keep that to yourself. It's usually best. And by the way, when I say that to some people, they'll say, but if we don't bring this up, this might happen as if God were not king. God is king. Don't panic. We're not voting him out. In retrospect, we can also see how unwise it was to join in the political battles that the Maccabees did. Maybe they needed to do the guerrilla warfare, but then they got into politics, and it really blunted the effect of the Maccabee family until after time they weren't a factor by the time of Jesus. We can also see some other lessons there. Um, it's never been easy. But please remember, next time anybody looks at you and says, you know, things are worse today than they've ever been, take them first, Maccabees. Say, enjoy reading this. Get back to me. Evil only wins when righteous people refuse to act. In talking about heroes in the book of Hebrews, the Bible calls them heroes who did not live, uh, love their lives so much as to shy from death. Who do we respect? We respect those that are first responders, do we not? Firemen that run into a place everybody else is running out of. Policemen or marines, or sailors, or the like, that, that, that run into trouble that the rest of us are trying to get out of. We, um, and even, even a person that hates the police will call them if they're getting shot at. We respect them because they put their life on the line. Jesus is far above all of this, and I'm not trying to equate him. He's so far above all of this. But then he calls us up there and says, don't be so afraid of losing your life that you don't live it. 
I wish I'd memorized the poem, but I, I read it back when I was a teenager. Didn't realize how important it was. But the poem goes on at great length about a person who takes every single precaution, only eats right, exercises right, sleeps right, thinks right, does constantly. And at the very end of it, they slip in the tub and they break their neck and die. And it says, and they deserved it. Um, John Prine has a song about Safety Joe, which is very similar. That he never, never risked anything and his life wasn't worth anything. We, we are to live in a risky way. It's risky right now to talk to the others. I don't want to define others. You know who others are. Whoever your others are. The people you don't get along with. It's risky to talk to them. It's risky to give money when you might need it. Isn't it? We're supposed to live risky. We're supposed to act like we're just visiting here. Uh, one of the rules of travel, I've got to do this real quick. One of the rules of travel is lay all of your, your, your stuff you're going to take on a bed and your money on the bed. Now, take half as much stuff, twice as much money. I can remember taking a group once and the kids could not wait to get to a shopping area on the last day because they hadn't spent all their money. They were terrified of not spending all their money before they left. It reminded me. The time I went through a tour of a museum, at the very end of it, the man who had ginned up a big story on the thing said, and yet he died penniless. And I, it leapt right out of my mouth. I couldn't stop it. I said, good timing. Because <laughs> it is. Eat your last donut, spend your last dollar, fall over dead, see Jesus. Where is the negative in this scenario? <laughs> and yet, people are so cautious so afraid. Don't be afraid. 